0: Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If it is your first time tuning in, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for returning and tuning in again. I appreciate you so much. Before we dive into the interview, I want to get into the review of the week. So this week's review says, amazing and inspirational. The first podcast I listened to was Feel Good Friday number 11, discussing having a positive self-talk. Many times we catch ourselves being far too harsh over small offenses. This podcast definitely helped me identify those critical moments and how to turn a negative to a positive. Black Girl Magic on 100, and I'm loving it and cannot wait for the next episode. Thank you so much for this incredible, incredible review. That episode is one that is near and dear to my heart because positive self-talk can be so, so hard and I know it's something that I still struggle with and have to be cognizant of and I'm so glad that resonated with you. If you have not yet left a review on iTunes for the Balanced Black Girl podcast, please do. It is a huge help. That is how I understand what content resonates with you and that is also how iTunes decides who to show the podcast to. So the best way you can support us Here at Balanced Black Girl is by leaving us a rating and a review. So today's episode is one that I am so excited about because my guest is just phenomenal. Clarissa Rodriguez and I have been internet friends for years. I actually stumbled upon her content many years ago when I had gone back to school and was looking at her study tips content because at the time I was going back to school to study nutrition, was not a science-minded person at all. So I thought at that time. And her advice was really a lifesaver. And in this episode, We just had such an incredible conversation. She's so insightful, had so much incredible, incredible advice. So I am really excited for you to tune in. Clarissa Rodriguez is a college study skills expert, part-time labor and delivery nurse, and proud Afro-Latina who helps college women earn better grades and minimize the stress and overwhelm that comes with being a busy working college student. So especially if you are maybe a first-generation college student, if you are a first-generation American and first-generation college student, there will be so much content in this conversation that you can relate to, and I am so, so excited to have you tuning in. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. Clarissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. We, for people who don't know, have been like internet friends for years now.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, a long
0: time. (laughs) A long time. Probably like 2015, I think, Mm -hmm. is when I found your content. So we've seen each other evolve and, and grow a lot. And I'm so excited to have you.
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. So for those who may just be meeting you, can you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so my name is Clarissa Guillen. I um, own a small business called She Rocks at College, where I help college women learn the skills that they need to succeed in college. And I also work part time as a labor and delivery nurse.
0: Incredible. So you have two incredible careers and also a really amazing story that is very closely related to both of your careers, and I wanna talk about both. Uh, But first, let's start off by talking about She Rocks at College, which as you said, is a company that provides resources for young women in college to set themselves up for success. So what inspired you to start your company?
1: Yes, my own personal journey. So I um, am a first generation college student um, and also a first generation American. So both my parents are from the Dominican Republic and they came here obviously to give their children a better life and to have more opportunities for them. And so uh, I was of course going to go to college because education is the way that you advance yourself when you're a minority. And initially, I wanted to become an OBGYN and deliver babies, and so I did everything that I knew how to do when it comes to trying to get into medical school, and I ended up going to um, a pretty well-known college here in Rhode Island. It was a primarily white college, and though I was like super successful in my high school, it was still an inner-city high school, um, where the education system pretty much sucks, um, where all you had to do was in assignments, and behave, and that meant that you got A's, and so I had a really warped sense of um, achievement, I guess, because I was exceptional from where I came from, but not exceptional at the college level. That was the belief that I had, Um, and so when I got to um, the college that I went to, I failed miserably right off the bat, and Mm -hmm. I didn't have the know-how, the resources, the support to even know where to go to ask for help, and I really struggled my way through, and it took me failing over seven classes and being told by one of my advisors, who herself was a minority, uh, but definitely more on the privilege, privileged side. She basically told me, you know, you're never going to make it in the medical field because you just don't have what it takes. And that was kind of my wake up call. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's really where the urge, um, the inspiration for starting She Rocks at college came from.
0: Oh, my gosh, I love that. So there's so many things in there that I want to talk about that I think are really relatable for people. First year experience coming from a high school that maybe didn't push you and challenge you as much and kind of the transition to college and how expectations are just really different and and what that looks like because I feel like I had a very similar experience. I had some really great teachers who were who were really helpful but not necessarily the best when it terms in terms of, you know, counseling and counselors helping prepare us for college and and what that looked like. And also something else that you touched on was around changing your beliefs so at first when you were having a hard time in college feeling like maybe you weren't a right fit for it or having that that person tell you you didn't have what it takes you said that that was just a belief so I would love to dive a bit more into how that belief changed and and how you were able to really change your perspective there
1: yeah so um when I think about my high school experience, um, and I think about where I came from, again, inner city school, uh, mainly everyone with either Dominican, Hispanic, or black. Mm-hmm. I think that the level of excellence is set much lower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's almost as though, wow, you're pretty smart for coming out of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know anything else. Right. I, So I went into this college thinking that that's what SMART was, behaving and, uh, you know, being better than everyone else that I grew up with. And it was a huge wake-up call when I got to college because I had lacked all of these skills that apparently these kids that went to all these prep schools were equipped with. Yeah. and the reason why I say it was just a belief and it didn't, it took me like a long time for me to realize that it was just like my thought process mm-hmm. because I literally just, I, I, prior to then, I believed that there are people who are born smart and then there are people who are not. Mm-hmm. You either have it or you don't. And I went into college Having failed out of my first chemistry course, uh, my first physics course, thinking that, okay, maybe I'm just high school smart, but I'm not college smart. Mm. Maybe I'm just inner city smart, but I'm not like real world privilege, prosperous smart. Mm. So I always believed that I could achieve success, but it was always going to be capped in the level of achievement that a black person or Hispanic person or Dominican person could achieve.
0: Yeah. So that there was always a qualifier there. Correct. Yeah, definitely. So when did that mindset shift start to happen for you?
1: Um, it started to happen. So junior year, I had that conversation with my advisor. She told me I would never make it in the medical field. So what I did was I ended up switching majors. So I switched from being a bio major on the pre-med track to health policy and health management. And I went into my senior year uh, trying to fit in a whole major's worth of material into a year. So a major that I was supposed to uh, complete over the course of four years, I did it in three semesters. Wow. And... All of that was fueled by me trying to prove this advisor wrong, because in the back of my mind, what I was thinking is, well, okay, sure, I won't be able to get into medical school, but I'm going to get into all these accelerated nursing programs and become a nurse practitioner, or I'm going to get into all these um, accelerated uh, physician assistance programs and, and still deliver baby and babies in a capacity that I could. And it was all fueled with this anger um, and this, I want to prove her wrong mm-hmm. type of a mentality. And what happened was I got rejected from every single one of those programs. Mm. And so again, that belief that like, okay, this is as smart as I get was still kind of lingering there. And it took a really hard conversation with my um, husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. And he like really like sat me down and was just like, this isn't really who you are. You're not the type of person who lets people set limits on you. Mm -hmm. Um, You have always figured things out. Um, And it was that conversation that kind of woke me up to the idea that if I could learn how to walk and talk, um, if all of these other students could learn how to succeed in college, then I could probably learn the skills as well. Yeah. And so I spent an entire summer like reading every research article and book that I can get my hands on on how to be a good student and how to learn how to learn. And that's really where um, I got exposed to the growth versus fixed mindset mm-hmm. that you hear um, talked about that was coined by Dr. Carol Dweck. And that's when I really learned that like, OK, it wasn't that I wasn't smart enough. It, You know, it had nothing to do with where I came from, but more so that I just lack the skills, skills that I could learn um, and teach myself so that I could step into my own brilliance.
0: Yes, I love that. And I hope that that's a really big takeaway for our listeners here is that those are skills. It's not a reflection of who you are. It doesn't mean that your intelligence comes with a qualifier based off of where you come from. It's literally skills. And it's just, it's just such part of your story that I love. And I know I was leading you because I know I know those aspects of your story. <laughs> but I wanted our listeners to hear those aspects of your story. <laughs> um, so if you could go back, what advice would you go back and give your younger self, maybe the, the Clarissa when she was a freshman in college and going through all of this, what would you tell her?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. Um... So I think that when I was a freshman, I had a lot of expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of uh, ideals of what I thought a successful student looked like.
0: Yeah.
1: What I thought... um, was required of me in order to be successful. And that meant, of course, making the dean's list and getting involved in all these different clubs and maintaining a part-time job and getting like the best internships and studying abroad, none of which happened to me, Mm -hmm. by the way. Um, and because none of that happened to me, I felt like I wasn't worthy and like I wasn't smart enough because I wasn't able to keep up with what everyone else was doing. Every single time I heard, you know, one of my friends getting an internship or getting super involved in school or making the dean's list and earning another scholarship, I felt less and less like I was meant to be there. Yeah. And so what I would say to freshman year Clarissa is that you need to define academic success for you because it looks Mm. so different for every person, especially non-traditional college students, especially first generation college students. Like we're a completely different breed in the, in the current education system, the higher ed system just isn't built to support us. It isn't built to help us navigate the unfamiliar world of higher education. So many of us are first generation. And it's like, you know, my parents didn't even know what the hell a FAFSA was. Mm-hmm. Um, they were so confused by the fact that like, kids live on campus, because you don't do that when yeah. you go to university in the Dominican Republic. And the it, it, it was just a huge culture shock on all different levels for me. And I I I don't I fell into the trap of like letting society condition me into believing that I needed to look a certain way in order to achieve academic success.
0: Mm, that is such good advice, such good advice. And so for a young woman who may feel that same way, maybe she's a first generation college student or a non traditional student, or maybe her college experience or higher ed experience has gotten off to a rocky start, and she wants to kind of take control, redefine what that success looks like for herself. What do you recommend is the first step she take in that process?
1: Uh, So this is something that I actually walk students through a lot. So the first thing that I would say is why did you enroll in college in the first place? That's Mm. the first question that I would ask
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: because that's going to dictate a lot. Um, If she's first gen, she's probably going to college because she wants to be able to earn more money and to change like her family's financial situation I know that that was a big motivator for me yeah. um I mean I don't know like what it was like for you Les but like mm-hmm. I didn't go to school because I wanted to be educated yeah same <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to go to school because like that's how you make more money mm-hmm. and that's how you don't live in poverty the way that I lived and that's how uh, generational wealth is built or at least that's what I believed at the time
0: yeah
1: um and so starting off with why you enrolled in college in the first place is number one. And then two, kind of exploring the different ways that you can create that experience for yourself, create that vision for yourself, because you can achieve everything that you want without going to a four-year college, without living on campus. Um, especially now, there's so there's so many different ways that you can get an education, mm-hmm. Um you can literally just, I don't want to use the word manifest because I have like a weird (laughs) uh, relationship with that, but you can create whatever it is that you want. You can define it for yourself, but it first has to start with what is motivating you to go to college in the first place. Yeah. Because that's really going to dictate what your priorities are.
0: Totally. Starting with that why is so important. So important. So for you, kind of going back to your stories. So you ended up going back to school and and becoming a nurse. So what was that process like for you?
1: I was hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went back having after having learned the skills. Yeah. And it was a different experience because I was living on my own for the first time with my husband, mm-hmm. who was my boyfriend at the time. Yeah. So There was uh, a very different dynamic there. So I had to learn how to navigate uh, living on my own, paying for my own bills, working full time, going to school full time, trying to maintain a relationship. And then I had all these expectations and this guilt Mm -hmm. around achieving this kind of success of becoming a nurse because nobody else in my family had done it. And I always battled with the, the hardest thing for me during that time was battling between being successful and being a good housewife or being Mm -hmm. marriage material. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up with my grandmother telling me that if I didn't learn how to cook clean, uh, no one would ever want to marry me um, because that's what men look for. And so I always struggled with uh, the desire to be great, the desire to be like – uh, the words are escaping me right now, but I guess the definition would be self sufficient as a woman. Mm-hmm. But also being tender, yeah, and feminine mm-hmm. and sexy and marriage material. Mm-hmm. And I could not reconcile the two. It was either or. Yeah. I was either going to be really successful in a doctor or a nurse or whatever or I was going to be a housewife. Those yeah. were the the two things that existed in my world. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled a lot with my relationship while I was in nursing school because of that. Yeah. Nursing school went great because I had learned the skills, but my personal life was suffering because of the cultural cultural differences, yeah. the belief system that was instilled in me by my Dominican parents mm-hmm. and my, by my Dominican grandmother who raised me. Yeah. And I think oh. what's so interesting
0: about that is it's, it's something that really touches on modern womanhood and what this looks like. like. We as women, probably more so than ever when it comes to our careers, have so much opportunity, like endless opportunity. There's pretty much no job that we can't at least pursue. But we're also still held to these ideals that are a bit old school and expectations mm-hmm. about what a woman does and how a woman lives and and now are kind of expected to, for lack of a better word, balance um, or adequately perform at both or have this idea that it has to be one or the other. And Mm -hmm. I I just really appreciate that you are so
1: honest about that because it's something that is really, really hard. Yeah. And it's something that's not, I don't think it's talked about often enough, although I think that those are subconscious beliefs that all of us are feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, I've also had conversations that feel very similar where it's like, I am super smart, who cares if I can cook or who cares? You know what I mean? And and this kind of inner tension that I have, again, kind of with those old ideals, but then also with proving myself outside of the home and what that looks like. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's a constant kind of finesse between the two. Yeah. Yeah. So I also love that you talked about your family and talked about your Dominican heritage. And I would love to talk to you more about your heritage and experiences as a first-generation American, as an Afro-Latina living in America and what that is like? Because I could imagine that there's a lot of duality that comes with that, that from your parents and from your family, there is definitely still that that strong tie to your Dominican culture. But then on the outside, kind of still being a part of, of Black America and, and what that looks like. And I would love to hear your experiences with that.
1: Yeah, so... um I say I grew up very, very, very Dominican Um, (laughs) when I have friends who like reference American uh, shows or like American music during when we were young. And Mm -hmm. I have no recollection of it because in my household, we were listening to completely different music and watching completely different shows. And so I was like American in school. But when I got home, it was like straight up Dominican. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also spent all of my summers in the Dominican Republic. And one of the things that was really hard for me is the fact that when I would go back to the Dominican Republic, like that was true poverty. Mm. I was, you know, visiting aunts and uncles who were living in houses made out of woods. We were showering outside. We didn't have electricity. I was using an outhouse. Um, and so we would go there and we were considered to be prosperous yeah. and rich because we had American dollars and they stretched a long way in the Dominican Republic. And so when I went there, I felt a lot of guilt mm. over the fact that I had all this privilege
0: Yeah.
1: that I was, you know, my parents were able to send me to good schools and I didn't worry about whether or not my parents could afford to buy me a training bra or anything like that, or food or or clothes like we we lived a very luxurious lifestyle compared to what I was experiencing when I went to the Dominican Republic and then I would come back here and I was living in poverty
0: Mm
1: -hmm. compared to the American lifestyle Um, and we were then like the poor people um, when I came back and so that was one thing that like, I really struggled with because I felt a lot of guilt, um, having everything that I had when my parents didn't have any of it. Yeah. Um, the fact that they gave up, you know, their everything to come here and to give me a better life. I still struggle with the fact that I have an education and then I don't have to work in a factory the way that my parents do. Yeah. Um, and also trying to navigate the f- the fact that being Afro Latina isn't isn't uh, desirable here in America, mm. and feeling the need to whitewash myself and speak differently than uh, the the girls and the in the guys that I grew up with um, in the hood, as I say, because I realized very quickly that that was not going to get me anywhere. That people would have a certain perception of me if i spoke the way that cardi b does yeah um she's made it very mainstream but that's only acceptable in in entertainment right yeah uh, so having to learn how to speak white having to learn how to act white in certain areas and then also uh being um, embarrassed that i was dominican because we were the complete opposite of what the american <laughs> lifestyle um represents and Having my mom tell me that, you know, I'm giving up my culture and that all I want to do is be American and that I only look up to all these, like, white women and that I don't want anything to do with our culture, it makes me feel bad even Mm -hmm. till this day. Yeah. But how am I supposed to advance? Yeah. How am I supposed to be seen and respected when women like Cardi B aren't? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can't be her and be a nurse. Yeah belief system, right? It's, Mm -hmm. I I understand that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I still have to act that way. It's like, even when I go into work, I'm the only Hispanic girl on my floor. Mm -hmm. I'm also black. When people look at me, they don't see a Latina, they see I'm black.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's what I identify with, because no one knows that I am Hispanic until I open my mouth and actually speak Spanish. Yeah. And so I also find myself not being not wanting to speak up at work Mm -hmm. or having to be extra good because I'm representing an entire culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things in there that I that I want to touch on. Uh, First was that you said that here in the United States, or maybe maybe not just in the United States, but that being Afro Latina is not desirable. And I am. I would love to know, like, why do you think that is? What does that mean? And and what does that, how does that feel?
1: Yeah, so um, when I say being Afro-Latina is not desirable, yeah. when you think about the Latina women who are represented in the media. Mm-hmm. And who are looked up to and considered to be uh, beautiful and sexy and uh, everyone is obsessed with them because they're Hispanic. You think J-Lo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You think Eva Longoria, mm-hmm. who are not my skin color. Mm-hmm. They're lighter skinned Latino women. Uh, they're the typical, I call them Mexican soap opera stars. They, mm-hmm. they look American, but you know they're Hispanic because they're speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, like, I can't name one person right now <laughs> yeah. who looks like me, mm-hmm. who is a true representation of the Afro-Latina woman. Yeah. And because I don't see myself represented, it makes me feel like no one wants to see us, mm. like no one values us. Like, we have nothing to offer. And I, I feel really self-conscious sometimes walking into rooms because I don't look like everyone else. When I, when people want to touch my hair okay. or make a big deal that I have curly hair or say that I'm beautiful for having, you know, dark skin. What's the meaning behind that? Mm-hmm. That I'm pretty yeah. for a Latina girl because everybody else isn't. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by Afro-Latinas not being desirable mm. because of the way that how we are not represented Yeah, in what society deems as beautiful.
0: Mm. Mm. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that something like colorism or like that dynamic that you named where we think of, you know, the latina celebrities that everyone sees as desirable being like the jlo's or the eva longorias, those things are very real and i think people often only only not only talk about those things just within like the african american community but i think that's the place where we hear that conversation the most but to see mm-hmm. that it's it's a lot broader than that and extends a lot further than that and that there's so much more to that conversation. For sure. Yeah.
1: And even within my own culture it exists. And that's something that like baffles me. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And
0: one of the other things that you said that I would love to touch on, um, was you were talking about at work being afraid to to speak up at times or sometimes feeling self conscious when you look around and there are not other people who look like you. Um especially because you are a nurse and that you work in the medical field. And I'm curious, you know, what that experience is like if the people that you work with in the medical field represent the community that they serve, do you notice that the, the group of patients is a lot more diverse than the, the medical professionals who are taking care of them? And, and what does that dynamic look like?
1: Hundred percent. So we are in a small community hospital in a not so great area of Rhode Island, where a majority of the you know the inhabitants of that community are Latinos. They are uh, minorities. They are uh, drug addicts. It's it's not a very affluent part of Rhode Island, and the nurses and the doctors are all white. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I can count the number of minorities we have. One um, black doctor on our floor. It's male. Yeah. Um, in the whole hospital, I think there are two.
0: Mm. Oh my gosh! Uh,
1: but the community that they represent are Hispanics uh, mm. and black people. That's what normally lives in that area, and so. The thing that I struggle with the most is looking around and not seeing anyone else who looks like me, because it makes me wonder why, yeah. and it makes me it makes me really sad to think that racism plays a role in that, right? Mm-hmm. In in what we think that we're capable of, and the amount of uh, girls that are coming up, men that are coming up, you know, black. Latino that are coming up who might not be exposed to the medical field or not think that they have the capacity, the capability, the resources, the tools, the anything to be able to achieve that. And also always feeling this pressure to have to represent an entire culture, an entire race. It's exhausting.
0: Gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that relates perfectly to what you were saying earlier about higher education and the way it is set up is not is not for us like we have to jump through so many more hoops I mean we're seeing this right now with the whole college admissions scandal and those are just the people who have gotten caught who happen to be high profile but how many countless other people do the exact same thing to get their kids in when then you have First generation black college students, black and brown college students like you and I who get there and feel this intense imposter syndrome as if we don't deserve to be there. It's just it's so broken and it plays out throughout our entire career span. And and I think that that's a big part of why you'll see hospitals where there isn't adequate representation, not necessarily because those kids don't have that desire to grow up and be a doctor, but because the systems in place to get them there are not welcoming
1: to them. Right. And then when they do decide that that is what they want to do, and they're not succeeding, Mm -hmm. a lot of the blame gets put on the kids. Uh, They're not applying themselves enough. They're not seeking out the resources. But to be frank, most of us don't even know where to go to ask for help. I remember being told to go to professors office hours and having no idea what you were supposed to do in them.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And having no guidance on, like, okay, well, what are these office hours for?
0: Yeah.
1: How do you make the best use out of them? Uh, What is academic services? Like, I had no idea, though, that many of these services exist. And even if I did, I didn't know how to use them. Yeah, And so it's, like, how can you expect a student whose first generation, whose first exposure to higher education is – when they're there, mm-hmm. how do you expect them to know where to even go and look yeah. to ask for help? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is work with colleges and universities to to get them to go to the students, because mm-hmm. when you are in shame, when you are embarrassed of where you come from, when you are feeling like you are not worthy to be there, do you think they're going to go and ask for help? Of
0: course not. No, that's so hard.
1: Yeah, because what you're feeling is that they're just going to reinforce what you already believe about yourself.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And I'm getting like, I'm getting emotional hearing you talk about it because I just so remember feeling that same way, feeling that exact same way. And in my head, I feel like I'm going back to that same place. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think that that's why the work that you do with your business is so important and so I would love if we could also chat a little bit about She Rocks at College and the work that you do and the ways that you help young
1: women um, be more
0: successful in higher ed.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, pri- I primarily work with non-traditional students. So first gen, um, A lot of black um, college women who are working while they're in school um, who it's their second, third time trying to get into a nursing program or trying to pass a nursing program or um, who are, you know, have been denied getting into medical school and they're trying again. And so what I really do is work on work with them on developing the proper mindset, first of all, because it's the, the thing that gets in their way the most. A lot of them are dealing with a lot of shame. Around their experience, Um, they are battling with what uh, they believe that they're capable of because they've never, they've never had anyone show them what's possible. They've never had anyone believe in their vision. They've never had anyone support them in the capacity that I tried to do with um, She Rocks at College. And so we start off with um, helping them really create that vision and that dream and teaching them the mindset skills and helping them to understand that, like, where you came from does not dictate um, where you can go. Mm. Your potential uh, is not capped, right? You can always develop it. You can always get better. You can always improve. And so we really focus on... Um, progress, Um, teaching them the proper study skills. I go as deep as to like what specifically to say to your professor, how to actually look at a syllabus and use it appropriately. And so through that and um, coaching and mentoring, I do, um, I call it academic life coaching because (laughs) that's what it feels like I'm doing all the time. Um, It's really just working with them on the mindset piece because that's what's what holds them back Mm -hmm. the most. And I do that through a program called study school, which they um, have lifetime access to. So as long as they're in the college education system, they can keep coming back and getting the support that their tutoring center and their uh, college isn't providing them with.
0: I love that. I love that. And one of the things that you just said, I immediately wrote it down, teaching them that where you come from doesn't dictate where you can go. I just, I don't know, it gave me chills. And I think that that is incredibly powerful. And I just really love and admire the work that you do. Thank you so much. Yes. So Clarissa, in between running She Rocks at college and and helping these women, In between also working as a labor and delivery nurse, how
1: do you take care of yourself? What does self-care look like for you? Oh, my gosh. It's looked very different over the years. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that at the beginning, self-care was what people depicted on uh, Instagram or what they tried to depict on Instagram, where it was just like working out and trying to eat healthy. Uh, But these days... Self-care has looked like a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, It's looked like uh, letting go and releasing a lot of expectations that have been placed on me by society and really rebuilding uh, the belief system that I want to have, um, the values that I want to have, the kind of woman that I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um Michelle Obama in her book actually inspired my word of the year, which is becoming. And I'm learning learning the hard way that in order to become, you have to Mm, (laughs) unbecome. So I am deconditioning a lot. um, And it's looked very messy. And I think sometimes when we think about self-care, we think it's pretty. Um, We think that it's bubble baths and massages and crystals and everything like that. And sometimes it is. But I I think that true self-care is more about the deconditioning process and facing a lot of the hard things that we've been avoiding through those mainstream self-care practices. Um, And really stepping into our worth and our in our own brilliance. And mm. it's looked really messy for me. It's, it's, it, to me, it looks like a lot of tears. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I have never felt more connected to myself than I do right now. And I'm not working out as much and I'm not eating healthy, but I am focusing 100% on my mental and emotional health.
0: Which is every bit as important, honestly, if not more, because you can eat all the kale and work out every day. But if your mind and soul are not right, if you're not taking care of, of your spirit, it, it you're only going to go so far. And I love all of that. And I just I think that that is fantastic self-care and I could definitely learn a thing or two from you (laughs) in that regard. (laughs) Um, And I love that. So Clarissa, what does being a balanced black girl mean to you?
1: I knew you were going to ask this question
0: and I've been thinking
1: about it. Yeah, Yeah. I know, but it's so hard to answer. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, I think that being a balanced black girl is about... Defining what balance means to you mm-hmm. because it's not 50 50. Yeah. It's not about perfection. It involves a lot of self compassion, uh, a lot of self awareness, a lot of deconditioning and rebuilding. Yeah. So I think that's what being a balanced black girl means to me me is just redefining what it means to be a woman, Mm -hmm. what it means to be Latina, Mm -hmm. what it means to be smart, what it means to be valued, to be worthy,
0: and to be human. Mm. Oh my gosh. You were just pulling at my heart today. I'm just like, yes, yes, all of those things. <laughs> I love it because, you know, as humans, we are so complex. There is a lot within us and there's a lot of things that impact us and there's a lot of things that make us us and make us whole. And I just, I really love that you touched on all of that. So, Clarissa, I loved this conversation. How can our audience keep in touch with you? If there are college women listening, how can they work with you? How can they learn more about She Rocks at College? Where do we find you?
1: So you can go to SheRocksatcollege.com. Um, and I am She Rocks at College on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. YouTube is my primary place where I hang out and create content for college women who want to step into their brilliance.
0: I love it. And we will have all of that information linked in the show notes so that everyone can find you. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. It was fun.